Well, if you want to find your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 10, that's where we're going to be this morning as we continue our series on following Jesus. We've looked at what does it look like to follow Jesus in our leadership, in our lives, and we are now focusing on what does it look like to follow Jesus in how we love. Uh, Years ago, when our kids were younger, we had a special addition uh, to our family that occurred at Christmas. Uh, To my knowledge, uh, this special addition to our family has only been to our church once. And I'm speaking of a hamster that we gave our kids, okay? And now, this hamster had a really predictable life. Uh, all, all the hamster did, I'm not sure why the kids were so fascinated by him, but he basically like, lived in this little cage, ate, drank, but he did most of his sleeping during the day, and then at night, he would get on this wheel and just, and he'd just like go 100 miles an hour, like we could generate electricity. I mean, and then, this, and then the, when he wasn't like on the wheel, he would spend all this time gnawing at the metal cage, trying to get out, you know, and like, are you sure? Like, are you sharpening your teeth to attack us? I mean, that was the only thing that the, uh, the hamster would do. Except once a week, the kids would take him out. They'd put him in this ball where he would, like, roll around in the house, and they'd clean his cage or whatever he was in. And then they'd put him back in, and we'd do the same thing over and over. Keep the kids at night up because he was always trying to escape, or he's running on the wheel. I want you to know we really, really love this hamster. In fact, so much so, they, we gave it to dear friends that were moving to another state. Uh, <laughs> I was surprised that they wanted the hamster. I, I personally took time to make sure that I could see this exchange taking place so I could wave goodbye to this lovely little pet that we had. You know, when you think about hamsters just eating, drinking, running around like crazy, that, that's fine if you're a hamster. That's not so good if you're a person, right? And yet, how many of you might say, you know, I think that's a pretty good description of my life eating, drinking, and running around like crazy. It seems like I'm on a wheel, and I'm not making a lot of progress, but I'm going at it with everything I've got. I think there's a lot of us that could probably relate to that. And that is the problem, isn't it? Busyness is like a national value. Have you noticed that? I mean, we, we believe that if we're not busy... Something's wrong. Busyness is how we find our sense of well-being and importance. You ever been in a conversation? People ask, like, well, hey, what are you doing? And if you don't have much, all of a sudden you think of a lot of things that you could be doing, right? Because we just kind of pride ourselves in being busy. And if you're not got a big list of things to do, that chances are you're not very important. Something's wrong if you're not busy. And I want you to know that um, our incessant busyness, if it doesn't have abiding in Jesus in it, it is going to be detrimental to your spiritual health. You remember what Jesus said, John 15, verse 5? It's a, it's a verse worth memorizing. Jesus simply said this, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do, anybody read that verse? You can do what? Nothing. And some of us can read it and like, you know what? I'm going to take Jesus at his word. And then there's people like me and maybe some of you. We've had to learn this the hard way. 
all of your activity, everything you're doing at work and all those family responsibilities and, and ministry at the church and, and what you're doing in the community, I want you to know that if it doesn't not come from a heart of, of abiding, of living with Jesus, uh, Jesus said, that's really amounting to nothing. Chuck Swindoll wrote a short little book called Intimacy with the Almighty. Really a good, very insightful book. And in it, he writes this. One of the growing concerns I have entertained is the busyness of so many in the body. Pastors and parishioners alike have confided in me, admitting that the tyranny of the urgent is not a theoretical issue, but a very real fact of life. It leaves them feeling strung out, impatient, occasionally resentful, and even worse, empty. Then he goes on to write about this. This was the cry for one clergyman who whispered to me following a meeting with pastors. Nobody around me knows this, but I'm operating on fumes. I'm lonely, hollow, shallow, enslaved to a schedule that never lets up. As I embraced him and affirmed his vulnerability and honesty, he began to weep with deep, heaving sobs. He prayed before he slipped back into the crowd. How many of us can relate to that kind of life? Lonely, slave to a schedule that never lets up, running on empty, trying to exist on fumes. How is it that we can personally experience the joy of knowing Jesus in the midst of so many responsibilities and demands of this life. I mean, how is that really possible? I want you to know that the passage we're going to look at today as we continue making our way through Luke chapter 10 is of vital importance. If you miss this exchange and what Jesus is communicating, chances are, you're just going to continue on in the same old pattern of just barely making it, running on empty, and missing the good part of life. And we find in one of the most unlikely of exchanges, in fact, it's so interesting that this scene is recorded in Holy Scripture. It's like, really, just, just this one little interaction? And yet it has such a profound effect on all those who will take it to heart. And so let's take a look at it. This life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ, Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. So Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem, and he stops at Bethany. Bethany is two miles to the northwest of Jerusalem. It is the home of Mary, Martha, and their brother, a guy by the name of Lazarus. Interesting to note, this Lazarus is the very Lazarus who will die months later, and Jesus will bring him back from the dead, literally have him walk out of his own grave. This is this, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And this home of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus was really the only home that Jesus had during his earthly ministry. Uh, they obviously felt a very close affinity. This, this family opened up their home and their resources, and it gave Jesus really the only home base that he had. 
And he would stay there frequently. It was only two miles away from Jerusalem, allowing him to, the times when he was in Jerusalem, to go to be able to teach at the temple, and then to go and to be able to retreat and recover and replenish. And so, on this occasion, as you read the text in verse 38, it's as if there was really a no announcement that Jesus was coming. He just shows up, and he's got his band of 12, right? And they make their appearance. Martha, Martha sees Jesus. Of course, well, he's very, she's very familiar with Jesus. And she's opened up their home before, and she immediately invites them in. This is what they would do to extend in Near Eastern hospitality. You would open up your home. You can stay here. I'm going to feed you. No, I wasn't expecting you, but it is a delight to have you here. And this really is like Martha's DNA. Her name, Martha, it's, um, it's Aramaic for lady, like the lady of the house. And it was really an appropriate name for her because she really functioned that way. She was responsible, serious. Maybe she could be a, kind of a little bit, a, a touch at times, intense. But she had a heart that loved to serve people, especially Jesus and his disciples. And I want you to know this is a, a beautiful heart. She sees Jesus and says, hey, I am so glad you're here. Didn't know you were going to be in town, but I want you to know our home is open for you. Please come. And that's exactly what they did. And so when exchanges were made, uh, Mary is there. We're going to see. We don't know if Lazarus is there or not, but uh, then Jesus would sit down. This is a larger home. Uh, it must be large enough that you can hold all the disciples. Uh, so you are not going to be just kind of like on a dirt floor. You're going to have flooring. There are going to be chairs. And Jesus and the disciples then sit down. And Jesus, as just like him, would take opportunities like this to teach. The living word, the word became flesh, would speak and teach and his exchanges and his conversations and his messages, why, for the people listening, they would give perspective on the challenges and the difficulties that they would face. Jesus' words prepared them for the road ahead. His words would give them purpose, understanding why they were there, what is to come. It's as if when Jesus spoke, there was just something inside you that just held on to his words and he gave you peace. He increased faith. Your soul was fed, like, just like your body is nourished with bread. So his words were like bread to your soul. He gave you strength. He talked about a wide, sub, wide variety of subjects. Talked about the kingdom of God, the great travesty of sin, the need for repentance. Spoke of life in him. Would reveal how prophecies given in the Old Testament and he would, in such unique ways, show that he was the fulfillment of those. Jesus had stories, great stories, stories that are still told to this day, so memorable and so powerful. The insights into life, life with God, life on this earth, all of this came from just listening to Jesus. So the disciples are taking this in. In fact, we see that Mary immediately recognizes here is an opportunity for me to gain great insight, to have my soul inspired by him. And so we find, verse 39, that Martha had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. 
Now, at this time, um, women certainly would go to synagogue. They were at these, the meeting place of the Jews. Every community had them. And they would go and they would sing worship songs. They would have the scriptures read, the law and the prophets. Uh, either someone who had had the training or a traveling rabbi would then expound the scriptures and explain what they meant. And women certainly took part of that. But rabbis, uh, the word means teacher, uh, this was part of their culture. You would have rabbis that would travel around with a band of disciples. This was intense discipleship where they would learn everything they could from a rabbi. But it was always just males. The idea of having a woman sit at the feet of a rabbi, that didn't happen. This was unheard of and would be rather shocking. But for Mary, why this was the most important decision that she could make. Listening to Jesus gave her perspective, answered her life's most difficult questions, gave comfort to her heart, fueled her with faith, met her deepest needs. Simply stated, the greatest priority in Mary's life was just to find time to sit at Jesus' feet. And I want you to know that both Martha and Mary, they're motivated out of love. Everything about these verses, everything about these women speaks of a great love for Jesus. One is welcoming, inviting. Another, like Mary, I'm just going to sit. I'm going to soak this all in. But as we see in verse 40, uh, some disturbing developments took place. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to to help me. Now, this word distracted literally means to be pulled away, to be dragged away in like a different direction. And what happened with Martha? I mean, this all got started with great intent. Uh, She loves Jesus and she's welcoming all these disciples. And yet her service, her ministry started to distract her, pulling her away. And literally, it says she is distracted with all her preparations. The word literally could be translated, by her much service, she was pulled away. She had invited Jesus to be guest at her home. But all that she was trying to do became a distraction to just actually enjoying and being with Jesus. And you know how this has got to work. I mean, like Martha... She is like so many people, and I can relate so well to Martha. I, I'm a worker. I'm a doer. I like to see things get done. And you can almost see the steps that need to take place in order to get here. Well, that's kind of how Martha is. And Martha recognizes like, wow, this is, this is an amazing opportunity. Amazing opportunity for me to demonstrate my love and to serve Jesus and, and these men, these disciples. I, I cannot wait. And so she invites them all in, makes sure they're all settled, and then her mind is immediately calculating all that is needed. She has got to go to the market. She hasn't planned for a party, but she is planning one now. She shows up at the market. She's getting the best of produce. She needs all this meat. She's starting to think, okay, relish tray, definitely got to get that. These are going to be the side dishes. This is going to be the main course. It's all got to segue together, right? You can't can't have the meat done and all the potatoes cold. No, 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 no. The corn, the cold, the, the uh, potatoes, it all has to segue together. I'm, I'm thinking a glorious feast. 
This is, it's going to be awesome. And so she's putting this all together. She is, and then she shows back up and she's got all these groceries. No one seems to help. You ever happen to your house too? Show up with the groceries, the kids, gone, right? Where am I? I'm by myself. So you, and she does it. And Jesus is sitting there talking. Everybody's paying attention. She's bringing in all the groceries. Kind of weird. No one seems to be offering to help. That's fine. I got this. And so she starts. And I want you to know that like this, this whirlwind of activity becomes a tornado of trouble, okay? I mean, can't you see her? She's got everything she needs. Everybody's kind of hanging out, listening to Jesus, and she is peeling the potatoes, right? She's fussing with the flowers. She's straightening the silverware, right? I mean, she's it's like surprising that no one is responding, you know, and so she's trying to maybe just possibly get like Mary's attention. And you know how this works, don't you? Uh, there's different things that you can do. Like you can <coughs> clear your throat, right? Um, if that's not doing it, not like I know this from personal experience or anything like that, but you can like clang pots and pans really loud, right? Something's going on. Uh, if that doesn't seem to work, you know, like I would, I would get that, but my hands are full, right? You know, and so I, I'd love to help, but I can't. There's more to do here than I could do alone. But friends, if that doesn't work, you know, uh, then then you could resort to the look. You know what the look is, guys, right? It's the, if looks could kill, you're immediately like, whoa, something's really wrong, right? And I'm sure she's doing everything she can to make eye contact with Mary, who seems to be rather oblivious about what's most important and what needs to be done. In fact, she's just sitting there. And I'll tell you what, Martha is just fuming at this point. She starts coming to a place where, like, she is just boiling over. Maybe something catches on fire in the kitchen. I don't know. But all of a sudden, I do know there's a fire going on inside of Martha. And she comes to a boiling rage. And it boils over. And all of a sudden, she is mad. She's mad at Jesus. And she's really mad at Mary. And she boils over. She explodes. She shows up. And everything stops. Jesus stops talking, Martha stops serving, no one is listening to Jesus anymore, and Martha comes unglued. She's, nothing is happening, everything is stopped, she is boiled over, and she's mad. She's mad at Jesus, and she's really mad at Mary. I want you to notice that. Did you see, look what happened when Martha lost focus on Jesus. You know, the first thing you notice is that she loses focus and loses sight of how much Jesus loves her and loves everyone. Did you see that? She has the right word, the right title, verse 40, but she's got the wrong attitude. Do you see what she says? Martha was distracted with all her preparation, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? You see, she is so upset. She goes and she has totally lost sight of Jesus' love. In fact, she says, do you not care? You know, that's interesting because that's exactly what the disciples said of Jesus in Mark chapter 4, verse 38, when their boat was being overwhelmed by a storm with all this water coming in. Do you know what they said to Jesus? Lord, do you not care that we are perishing? Same phrase. You see, when you lose focus of Jesus, you lose focus of how much he really cares about you. 
And that's what's going on here. And furthermore, loss of focus on Martha's part caused her to resort to self-pity. Did you see that? Lord, don't you care that Mary, and notice she doesn't even use her name, has left me to do all the serving alone. All the serving alone. It's all up to me. All the weight is on my shoulders. Don't you care? You see what's happening. She's resorting to self-pity. She's questioning whether Jesus really cares at all about her. She's resorting to self-pity. And then the third thing you notice is that what happens to the loss of focus on Martha's part? She becomes upset with others. You see that? She blows in there and she says, don't you care that Mary, and doesn't even use her name, my sister, has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. She's, she's mad. And in fact, you can tell that something's wrong when you start telling Jesus what to do. And that's exactly what she does. She tells Jesus, let that sink in. She walks up and says, you tell her because I'm not even speaking to her. I'm not using her name. I'm not even talking to her. You tell her to get in here and to help me. And what's happened here is she is completely upset with everyone. And I can tell you there's no peace in herself. And so if you want to see how is Jesus going to respond to this, how is he going to respond when he's under attack by someone that's out of control? Well, if you want to see what love looks like, what maturity looks like, how to handle a difficult situation when someone is clearly out of bounds and out of control, well, I want you to know, look and see what's taking place here. Verse 41, but the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. Martha, Martha, you can just even hear it in the words. In fact, that he uses her name twice, speaks of such love, such understanding. He knows that Martha loves him, and, and he knows. He knows that Martha really wants to serve and to serve from a heart of care and of generosity and of graciousness. He also knows that she's got some things out of line. And it's reflected by her behavior. It's, he literally states, he said, Martha, Martha, look at this. You are worried, which has the idea of being actually anxious and bothered. You are upset. You are anxious. You are unsettled by so many things, but notice what he does. He brings absolute clarity about what's taking place. He says, verse 42, but only one thing is necessary. You think a lot of things that are absolutely necessary, but only one thing is necessary. Look at this. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. You see, Mary has chosen the good part. What is the good part? What's he referring to? The good part is the presence of God himself. And Mary has chosen the good part, and that will never be taken away from her. Friends, we cannot let much activity keep us from what is most important. 
And it's easily done. You know, when we, we're just all focused on all of our activities and everything that we need to do, and I'm talking about good stuff, stuff at work, uh, responsibilities at home, ministry at the church, these are all good things. But what can happen is if we just get focused on those, we miss the good part. And what happens when you miss the good part? Look at Martha. You start getting this idea like, you know, I'm not sure God really even cares about me. In fact, I feel rather distant from God. If that's true of you right now, can I ask you, um, when is the last time you've honestly just spent some time just with Jesus? Been a while? Might explain why you feel rather distant from God. Maybe you come to the conclusion, he doesn't care about me. Furthermore, you can start resorting to self-pity, and it's going to be reflected on how you treat others. You're not going to be caring about them. You see, the good part is really essential. That's why Jesus says one thing is necessary. You see, God restores our soul. He fills us with truth and love, and it's the fruit of the Spirit when we simply enjoy Him and spend some time with Him. And friends, if we we don't do this, uh, what happens is all the many responsibilities in our life, they can lead us to distraction. We can have that frozen feeling where at times we're like, I just don't even know what to do. I think I'll do nothing. I'm just, I don't know what to do. Uh, William Henson writes of why animal trainers, with all the different tools they work with animals, they feel the one that is most important when actually trying to tame and work with a lion is a four-legged stool. Now, first of all, I'm like, why in the world would you even want to do this? I mean, like for all the career callings, I think I'm going to try to tame lions who have a propensity to kill people and shred them. But nonetheless, there are some folks that that's what they do. They train lions. And I get it. The whip, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The gun even makes more sense. And they always have like a gun right there. That I'm like, yeah, okay, if I'm getting attacked, I got about one shot, Right? By the four-legged stool, like, serious? What are you going to do? Sit down and have a conversation with a lion? Hey, let me clean your teeth. Let me see. Say, ah. No, what are you going to do with a four-legged stool? Well, those who train lions, they say, by far, that's the most important tool. Because what they said is that if you take this, and I don't know this from personal experience, and I'll never try this, but you thrust that stool into the face of the lion and the four legs... It causes the lion to focus on all four. It's almost as if they become docile. They become uh, fragmented, disabled, because they can't focus on all four points, and there's something that changes inside them, where all of a sudden you can do things like have them stand and open up their mouth and roar and raise their paws because you've totally distracted them. And I tell you that because that's kind of what happens to us, right? We're so distracted by all these different things, and we just become like disabled, and we can't function very well. When you look at Martha, is she sinning, you know, like with like having Jesus over and preparing a really nice meal? No, 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 no. Is that wrong? Obviously, those are some things that need to be done. If you invite people over, hey, love to have you over for a nice meal, that's going to be important that you actually probably prepare something. You can't just pull out the Rice Krispies like everybody take a handful. That's not going to work, Right? You're, no, this is all, that's all well and good. And to have things nice, show honor like that, respect, all those things are good. No, that's not the problem. The, the problem is, is that she gave too much importance to it. She lost sight of what was really taking place. 
it's kind of like the, she just got really wound up. And do you ever have this experience? I had it with my kids when we were flying a kite. And I don't know how this happened, but the string broke. Off went the kite, and it was flying until it got caught up in an electrical wire. And then it just wrapped around like this. And like, how do these things even happen to me? You know, I'm like standing there with the kids. Like, what are you going to do? How do you even get it down? Well, that's exactly what happened to Martha. She just got wound up so tight. And she just... And friends, it can happen to us. That, that might be a good reflection of your life. And that's why Jesus is drawing our attention to this. You see, when we have times of just devotion to Christ, when we keep first things first, you know what? Then the ministry will flow. Our heart is going to be in the right place. We're going to minister from the overflow. But if we, if we miss this, friends... Things are not going to work the way they should. And you know, like just like an airplane or your car has gauges to tell you like when you got some engine problems, there's, there's ways to know like if you're, you're really got priorities out of whack. For instance, you're going to become a really short temper, right? And there's gonna be, everything's going to be a big problem, like a huge federal case. And you're, you're not going to have a lot of patience. And, and you're going to be real short, maybe with your spouse or with the kids. Because why? You're running on empty. And then when it comes mealtime, you just inhale your food, right? There's it. And you're just like, why? Because I got to get going, right? And everything's on quick demand. And I mean, people are just rocking on eggshells around you. And you're just kind of fuming and, and nothing seems to be going right. And what's like a small problem, you turn it into a huge disaster. And friends, these are all part of the gauges that are saying, deep, 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 warning here, something's off. You see, time with God, just spending some time with God, Jesus says that's the good part and it's the one thing that is necessary. You see, true joy just comes from being in the presence of God. God himself. It's kind of like when people get married. You know, when you're like dating or you're courting or you're engaged, do you ever realize like, like how much time you can spend with one another, right? In fact, you find creative ways to spend time. Like some of you guys, you didn't know you could talk so much, right? You could even close down Whataburger, right? You're just sitting there and you were an authority on a lot of different things and you could listen. And, and you've, when you're in that stage, you spend a lot of time. People get married because they actually like to be in each other's presence, right? It, you don't get married because like, you know, this gal's thinking like, he's really good at fixing lawnmowers. That's just exactly what I'm looking for in a guy, right? Or, or that, like a guy like, I, I'm really going to marry her because she is so good at like just cooking and food, right? Now, I want you to know that with guys, when you enter food into the equation, it does get a little complicated, okay? Because I, I don't know how to explain this. I'm not going to name this guy. He is a well-known pastor. Uh, I actually heard about how he met his wife and how he came to the conclusion that they should get married. And it, was, it featured in his story the importance that she could make a really good sandwich. And are you, are you like, are you kidding me? But that's what it was for him. And so I want you to know that the reason you get married is because you enjoy just being in each other's presence. But of course, you know what can happen, right? Well, I have all the responsibilities, and next thing you know, you're not really spending so much time in each other's presence. In fact, your marriage may have settled down to a cold war zone, and you just kind of tolerate one another, and you're just kind of hanging out, or you're just doing, everybody's got to do their roles, but you're never really just spending time with one another. I want you to know that'll have a real detrimental effect on your, your relationship if you're married, 
The same is true about your fellowship and your relationship with Jesus. Friends, you can do a lot of work and you can be very busy and you can be involved in a lot of really important things and go vacant inside. I know because it's happened to me on a lot of occasions. I wish I could stand up here and say, well, you know, I don't, I'll take Jesus' word. I don't know much about that. I've I've never been to a place driven to a distraction. Uh, I have on multiple occasions. I am wired to work. I love to see things getting done. And you know what? I can miss the good part, and I have. And I've seen the gauges go off. I'm like, hey, what is going on? And you're like, are you serious? You're a pastor. You're missing the good part at times? Yeah, it does happen. You know, like this, you know, being involved in spiritual leadership and so many really important things, why, sometimes just spending time with Jesus, even though I get up early, my mind can immediately start racing to all the things that I need to engage in and just spending time with Jesus in the Word, even though I know it is the good part. And for so many times I've experienced the good part, I can still be like, man, but I just really got to get up for this. I got to be productive. I got to knock these things out. These people are counting on me to do this. Uh, that, that funeral, that situation over here, that meeting, uh, that counseling appointment where I'm going to have to confront this individual who's in serious sin, that is going to happen and I need to be ready and it'll keep me from the good part. Have you noticed that life just doesn't automatically arrange itself in priorities? You've got to make that decision. See, friends, God desires us to experience the relational closeness of just being with Him. So we experience His joy, His peace, perspective, presence, where He's doing the work through us. That's what He's after. And so, friends, the good part is the presence of God Himself. And now some of you are like, you know what? I know that, Grant. In fact, I've got a pattern. I, I have a pattern. In fact, some of you, you've had this pattern for years where you spend time with God. It's just a regular part of your day. It's the good part. It's the part where you find your soul settled and fueled. But maybe some of you are like, man, I have totally missed the good part. How in the world do you actually even establish a pattern like that? I just want to give you just a few ideas that have been helpful to me. James says this in James chapter 4, verse 8. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. That is a promise you can take home. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. So how do you do that? Well, simply, you need to set aside some time. And, and it's really helpful if you anticipate the time. Like, you know, I am looking forward to spending a little bit of time with God. And it can be really simple. You can say like, well, uh, I'm just going to spend 10 minutes. Try it. And if you're like one of those people, like my whole life is all scheduled out, you know, I'm not sure I got 10 minutes. I'm pretty sure you have 10 minutes, right? Pretty sure. And if you don't, you're too busy and your life has got huge problems, right? So you schedule 10 minutes. And in that time, you, you read something from the scripture, pray, think about it, reflect upon it. Maybe you, you sing a, a worship song. But friends, you have to be in the word. Jesus said, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You remember like what Stephanie read from Psalm 19, verse 7? The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. Very interesting. Our soul needs restoring, right? How does God do it? Well, he does it through his word, through the presence of his spirit. When we're in the presence of God, God takes his word to renew our mind to give us truth, perspective, what really matters, to answer questions, 
to set an orientation. All of this happens. And so you got to find just a time that works for you. One guy told me that he, he reads a chapter in the Bible while he's eating his breakfast. Another guy told me that he actually just listens to the Bible while he drives to work. There's a lady in the church, I will not name her, but she said that I do not talk to people before I've talked to God, okay? Everyone, apparently, and their family has learned this the hard way, right? But she knows, hey, I need to spend some time with God so my heart is right. And I tell you what, that is a wise woman. Shouldn't surprise you that she's got a very significant ministry in our church. But you find just time. You've got to have a plan. If you don't have a plan, you're going to fail. So maybe your plan is to read a chapter. Maybe it's a passage. Maybe read a psalm. I, I know one lady that she always reads a psalm every day. Um, maybe you're going to read a book of the Bible and you read it repeatedly, whether it's the whole in one setting or maybe it's just a chapter at a time, but you try that. Maybe uh, you're going to read through the New Testament between now and the end of the year. Uh, there's a lot of us that use that little daily bread little booklet, and if you want to go just to have a short section, they have that. If you want to read through the Bible in a year, it tells you how to do that, but you've got a plan, and you just spend some time with God in His Word and pray. Find maybe just one thing, even from what you've read, to just pray about that. That has been a practice that I've been involved in since seminary, just to try to find a time to spend time reading, but then to pray about at least one thing. That's oftentimes what you see us doing here on Sunday morning. We're we're praying through Scripture. And then if you find yourself kind of distracted, like my mind sometimes like just really going, and it's hard to just like stay focused, I find that just actually reading the Bible out loud is really helpful. Or to pray out loud. Like, I've got really good intentions, and I start praying. My, and, but all of a sudden, like, whoa, I think about this. Or something else that I've, oh, my goodness, I have got to get back to that situation. But I'm praying, right? Whoa. So I'll start praying out loud. You don't want to pray out loud too loud, okay? People think you're weird. Or maybe at times I need to go for a walk. But you're, you're communing with God, and you make it a priority. Why? Because it is the good part. And friends, think of this. If all of us continue to grow in these patterns of just enjoying Jesus, the good part, why our coming together is going to be just an overwhelming overflow of worship. The ministry that all that takes place will never have needs, glaring holes. Do you know why? Because hearts are resonating with God and we're enjoying the good part and and we see the importance of serving. And it's interesting that, where did we look at last week? We looked at the Good Samaritan. Remember how Jesus interfaced with this lawyer? God wants us involved in his kingdom work. He wants us to experience his joy and the overflow of his love being ministered to others. All of that comes from the good part. But friends, it always must be this. First things first. You know, we got a guy in our church that even, he named his company that. That'll keep it mindful, right? First things first. Running around eating, drinking, and running on a little wheel like crazy, that might be fine for hamsters and gerbils. It is not okay for people, especially God's children. Haddon Robinson uh, writes of a time where a a pastor came in uh, to their seminary and actually shared a story of a a family in their their church. This is during the World War II area. The setting is in Chicago. Um, There was a, a man and a wife, uh, this guy dies really early on in this boy's life, I think like at age two. And so this mom and this little boy, they grow up together. And, you know, this is before, like, uh, television, before phones. This is where you actually, this is what much of America did. 
you spent time in your living room. You were like reading books. You might read aloud. You would listen to the radio, listen to maybe a song. But you spent time together in the evening, and then you guys would go to bed. And it led to really tight-knit families that actually really knew each other very well. Um, And that's how this boy and his mom grew up. Well, as it would be when he uh, got into his 20s at church, he noticed a particular young lady, uh, got really interested, and they eventually uh, got married. Uh, Mom said this, listen, hey, I know that housing is so very expensive here in Chicago, and and you're not at a point right now where you're able to afford this. Listen, I'm going to move up to the second floor, I'm going to make my own apartment, and I'm going to give you the entire downstairs so for you and, and your wife, right? And I just asked this one thing. If we could just uh, spend some time together, though, every once in a while. I, I just love our music and the time of reading. And son said, absolutely, I love this course. But of course, marriage and all that comes with that and, and his responsibilities at work continue to grow. And uh, next thing you know, um, it could be like maybe once a week. Hey, mom, hey. See, maybe it was just a passing glance, and and it actually became even weeks where there was hardly any exchange whatsoever. Well, mom's birthday rolled around. The boy, like, man, I've got to do something for my mom. I really love her. I feel even kind of bad about this situation. So he goes out and buys her a real expensive dress, and he presents it to his mom on her birthday, and she she opens it up, and she says, oh, this is lovely, and the son goes, hey, wait, I know, yeah, something's wrong. Uh, Listen. Wait, if you don't like the dress, I got the receipt. They said I can bring it back. We can get a new one or we can do something different. No, no, I like it. It's, it's my color. Mom, you can't fool me. So mom gets up and she walks to a closet. She opens the door and there are all these dresses lined up. And she goes, son, I've got, a, <laughs> I got enough dresses for the rest of my life. What I'm trying to say is I don't need another dress. What I really want is just time with you. And I tell you that story because it really reminds me that's what God desires for us, just time with him. You see, the good part of life is enjoying the presence of Jesus. So I'd like to give you a minute to do just that. So let's just bow our heads and let's just enjoy Jesus, the good part. Maybe it's been a long time since you really just enjoyed being in his presence.